calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like you all have to have more fun guests. I'm going to try to come up with a squirting, creeping joke. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to fit in a little bit better, but maybe not in the concept of uh, the allies, queef. <laughs> Accomplices squirt, okay? <laughs> Is that the name? That's going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, the comedy concert of podcasts. I'm Carolyn Bergier. Is that even a good thing? I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with activist Amber Hikes about accompliceship. You know, it is a good thing because if we're the comedy concert of podcasts, that means everyone's talking about us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but we want more people to talk about us. So go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us five stars. Please, please, please. Talk about us in a positive light. Yes, we need it. We love positivity. That's how you can be an ally, at least. Boom. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash shaking out. We have different tiers and exciting news is that now our $10 a month level, it used to be they could join um, our exclusive Facebook group, which we still have and we'll still post in, but we've also started a Discord server. And if you know, you know, but we'll get into it. Didn't know. But yeah, we, we didn't know. know. <laughs> it's not so scary after it's all. It's great. So check. Yeah, I don't know why we're so scared of technology. Because <laughs> one day it's going to replace us. That's why. One mm-hmm. day this is going to be a um, algorithm generated podcast. What else do we have coming up, Mel? We got a comedy show coming up on January 31st. The last day of January. We're doing it. We're doing comedy at Stonewall. We've got a lineup even. 
and I'm excited about it. We have a past guest on the lineup, Becca Blackwell. So lucky to have them with the year they've been having. Yes. Janet Hyde, recent guest on the podcast. And also past guest, Glow Butler. That was from right before you joined Melody. But you know Glow. We all know Glow. We've done... I love Glow. Glow show and finally fellow Capricorn. Yes, we have the same birthday, Glow and I. Yes, yes. And Glow and I are the same age, so... (laughs) Something for everyone. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Also, Deanne Smith, who is a sort of Canadian comic. They, I always assume that they were like fully Canadian because they're best friends with uh, Jess Solomon. But I think they're actually originally from Rochester, if I'm not mistaken, and then moved to Canada and just lived in Canada for a while. And now they're in New York. We'll have them on the pod at some point, I'm sure. But for now, very excited to have them on our Stonewall show. They um, are on Netflix and stuff. Great things there. And then last but not least... We've got Sonia Denis. Sonia has not been on the podcast, but it is just the best like one of my favorite comedians we started out together in Chicago so tickets are finally on sale snag those while you can you know this show always sells out so and there's always fun stuff that happens I threw a Hail Mary out there and we'll see if it happens not going to go into any more detail than that, but we try to make it fun. We try to yeah. make great things happen at these shows. We're trying to pull a stunt for this one. Yeah, yeah. We love a stunt. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we get to our gay, gay, gay weeks is that we're in the market for an intern. We had one last semester, and if somebody still needs an intern this semester... We are interested. So send us an email, dikingout at gmail.com, subject line internship. We had some people message, but then didn't follow up. So this would be specifically to help out with uh, social media, especially if you have uh, graphic design skills. That'd be great. Reach out to us and maybe we can set something up. Yeah. For college credit. Yes. Okay, Carolyn, give it to me. What's the gayest thing you did this week? I know what you want. I know what you yeah. want. So the gayest thing definitely had to be setting up the Discord for our Patreon channel. For those of you who don't know Discord, it's kind of like Slack, but for fun stuff. And uh, you can create all these different topic channels to talk about. So we have like Yellow Jackets, one that's, hey, it's Che Diaz. We have... <laughs> um Gamers, but G-A-Y, you know, uh, Sporty Dykes. Uh, music, just general gay media, past guests, um, fur babies, just anything you can think of. And these channels are so active and I love it and everyone's really into it. And it's been so much fun. So just getting sucked into our Patreon discord has felt so gay and I am I'm tempted to waste away my hours on it. It's so fun to interact it's hard uh, to keep up that way. I know it's hard to ke- I'm constantly checking for for notifications. Uh, I love it. So this really I mean, yes, it is a sales pitch for our Patreon, but I I really <laughs> love Discord. And then I like hearing about what other servers people are a part of. And it just seems really cool. I know we're late to the game, but, you know, better late than never. Also, another gay thing. 
I baked some scones. And when I bake scones, I like to sing. I'm changing my major from Fun Home, but oh, instead of Joan, scone. I sing scones. And I do it each time I make scones. But I think Cecilia f- either forgets or just thinks it's as funny every <laughs> time I do it. Cracks her up. So, yeah. Changing That's my major cute. to baking scones with a minor in eating scones. That's it. We love a wholesome gayest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? What's your gayest thing? My gayest thing, I guess, was pretty wholesome. I accompanied my straight friend going wedding dress shopping. Why is it my gayest thing? Because my only input I had was I like that one. Anytime it would be like a super plunging <laughs> neckline um i first of all looked like the biggest dyke that had ever graced this uh designer's showroom i showed up in combat boots (laughs) and like mccuff jeans my big baggy t-shirt and just felt like a bowling ball in there like i like was just immediately gonna get something dirty break something step on rip chiffon i don't know i felt so clumsy because i was the friend who went with her like i had to take right pictures from every angle and video these 360 views and just kept messing it up like there was one point she's standing in front of a mirror she's like okay and can you get it from the front and i'm like there's like probably a foot between her and the mirror and I'm just putting the phone in front of her in front of the mirror. She's like, Mel, just take a picture of the mirror, like stand next to me. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm so, I'm a fish out of water in this world. And this sounds very Shiva from Tampa Bay's. Yes. It, I was, <laughs> that's the energy you brought to this big Shiva energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like I looked swaggy i was goofy i was shiva uh (laughs) it was just so funny just i never think about wedding dresses and i never have and it's just like my friend just got engaged uh christmas and the wedding is going to be in june of 2023 she's already locked down the dress like this was i was going with her to confirm on the decision she'd made two years before she was proposed to (laughs) like she kept asking what I thought about certain a line this blah blah flare that I had no idea what she was talking about and I've never felt like more of a dyke right like I've been married twice and that still surprises me how quickly people buy a dress after getting engaged sometimes I'm like oh that seems one of like the later things I mean I know that you have to get it altered usually but her body could change in many ways let's right. <laughs> over it's a year and a half out <laughs> right but you know some people are excited by dresses and i think that was very wholesome uh of you to encourage more cleavage so. oh yeah so wholesome you know what is the most wholesome part actually what? i was when i wasn't being as useful as i possibly could as my skill set allowed i provided entertainment i was uh flouncing around and doing impressions of frank from father of the bride do you remember frank yes yes <laughs> oh more Perfect. wholesome a nancy myers movie right i yeah. we kept quoting it and then we're like you know what let's go home and watch it so after we wrapped up there we went and we watched father of the bride and i forgot how queer the girl i'm blanking on her name annie I think it is the main the girl getting married, Steve Martin's daughter. She plays basketball 
Um, like that's like how they bond, right? And you just see her in her like boofy Nikes, like cutting up in her like nighttime robe. Like she was just so femme. But there's like a couple scenes in that movie where she's like really playing basketball well. And I forgot being like, oh, who is this? Like back yeah. in the day. So that was a fun little extra bonus gays thing. <laughs> love it. Love it. It's a turducken of gays things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, it's not wholesome. Uh, my contributions to this interview today. <laughs> yeah. uh, Get ready. Today, we are diking out with activist Amber Hikes about accompliceship. Amber is the chief equity and inclusion officer at the ACLU. And for all of our international listeners, that's the American Civil Liberties Union. Prior to joining the ACLU, Amber served as the executive director of the Philadelphia Mayor's Office of LGBTQ Affairs, where she developed policy and served as the principal advisor to the mayor on issues that affect our community. She was also recognized as Community Organizer of the Year in 2018 by Out Magazine. Oh, my God. Just sweating with anticipation. Let's go. Amber, we are so excited to have you here today diking out with us. We've been wanting this for a while. You've been requested by listeners, you know, some who demanded really want to hear what you have to say. Some who have a big old crush on you, to be honest. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, we've gotten a few. Oh my gosh, I really don't want to disappoint folks. This is uh, okay. I'm gonna, (laughs) no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. All right. Oh man. Where are you based? Are you out of DC? No, I'm in, I'm okay. between Philadelphia and New York. Uh, so okay. Philly, so Philly is, is my home, although that's complicated because I was a military kid and grew up all over, but Philadelphia is my home and uh, New York is where I work. So I'm back and forth between the two. Gotcha. Got it. Got it. And before we get into anything, we would like to ask you, what is the gayest thing you did this week, either in <laughs> Philly or New York or wherever ah. you may have been? Yeah. Whew, starting with the hard hitting questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm just so gay and tired. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know what? I've done a lot of gay things, but I am certain that whatever I did that was very gay this week had something to do with my 13 year old cat. So I have, I have a cat. And if I can tell you how, how freaking gay I am, I'm currently in my office and directly across from me is an oil painting of my cat. Like, and yes. it is all. <laughs> Look at, I got a little cat art of my own cat oh, right shit. behind oh, me there. No, I, I would, okay, if we were in the middle of something, I will send you a picture later. But, yes. actually, okay. but yes. mine looks very similar. And there is a whole mess of a story about how this happened. But it started with a silent auction and an elderly woman who had like retired and this was her thing was cat portraits, not pet portraits cat portraits yes and betty had to come to my house and sit with my cat and did a whole thing and then this beautiful piece of art came out of it um but it is a ridiculous <laughs> and serious it's a serious oil painting it's the most ridiculous thing that, that lives in my house <laughs> <laughs> but that is 10 years old that is not the gayest thing but my cat has been quite sick he's got a uh, chronic kidney disease and so it's very, it's very, very sad. But what it what it means is that I have to feed him several medicines all the time. And that that leads to me chasing him around the house, um, pretending to kind of like coddle and be affectionate with him and then having like jam pills down his throat. It's the <laughs> most ridiculous thing. But the, the gayest thing uh, by far is because I'm 
torturing him with all of these medicines constantly. Um, I've tried to overcorrect in, in the opposite direction. And so he um, he is constantly on my keyboard. He is constantly on my chest. Yeah. I will sleep in the most ridiculous positions and mm-hmm. not even get out of bed to go to the bathroom so that I don't disturb him. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> so these are the gay things that I have done is just twist my life around this 13-year-old, uh, very cranky, very cranky cat. And uh, I don't really have any regrets, if I'm honest with you. No, that is so relatable. I sleep in contorted positions. I will have a kidney problem of my own because <laughs> I hold my pee and don't get up if my cat is comfortable sleeping on my chest. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm amongst family. This is, this is good. Yeah. This is, yeah. Isn't it like, so your cat's 13. My cat is... Uh, like 11 and a half, maybe actually 12. Yeah. Um, so doesn't it bother you that they're seniors once they reach 11? Like, oh, I don't like percent. they are babies. They're <laughs> always going to be babies. It makes me so sad He's that our cats are me. seniors. Yeah. <laughs> He's older than me. <laughs> and he like reminds me of it all the time. The looks. It's ever, yes, it is. It's disturbing. It's disturbing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, he's he's grown. I can assure you. He is very yeah. grown. <laughs> what about uh, y'all? Do I get to know what the gayest thing is that you've done, <laughs> or or even the gayest thing that someone has shared in this podcast before? I'll take oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What's the gayest thing someone's ever shared? I wonder. I'll say the gayest thing for me is watching uh, you in Ahead of the Curve. No. <laughs> 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 great Can documentary I, everybody oh, check it out on curve magazine so good oh, so gay it's so gay so gay that was so many years ago can i tell you something shameful i don't think i've seen it yet really <laughs> you look great in it oh, oh gosh I, maybe i have maybe i have but it was so many movies <laughs> it's a good one you've yeah. locked it out yeah yeah no that was a different lifetime <laughs> I think the gayest thing I did this week was um, I went to the the woods for the Mr. Party on, on Wednesday night that they have that they haven't been having it for the past month or so because of the search. So they finally um, brought it back again. But recently, my wife and I met um, this local queer icon that we didn't know about. Her name's Ruthie. Uh, she lives in Brooklyn. She goes to Ginger's all the time, but she also goes to the woods every Wednesday. She's 74 years old and does not look it. And no. she is just such a, a great person to, to run into. So we've now run into her three weeks in a row. And every time we see her, we take a selfie. And now yes. we have this like, collection of selfies with Ruthie. And I Local feel like legend. she's becoming... Like part of, you know, we're checking in with her. We're texting her. We're just like adopting Ruthie. I love this. You're friends with Ruthie. This is very cool. Very, very Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We have big plans for us and Ruthie. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like Ruthie's going along with it. So so this is good. This is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's very like equally thrilled to run into us so often. <laughs> so I just, I cannot get over. I really thought that my wife must have misheard her. And like, there's no way Ruthie's 74 because like this past Wednesday was the first time that we've like danced with Ruthie. So Ruthie was like getting groovy on the dance floor. And I'm like, no way in hell, no way in hell. She's 74. Damn. See goals, 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 goals. That's, that's amazing. I need to, I'm gonna look Ruthie up and see, see what y'all are talking about. Shout out to Ruthie. For real. Yes. So. Amber, you do very important work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
much like us. You do very much like the community. Exactly, exactly. What is this? A little different. We're not intimidated. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're here talking about squirting and queefing. You are the um, chief equity and inclusion officer at the ACLU. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Yeah, but not so much. You know what? I'm not even making that joke. Yep, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. I like to keep my job. I like to keep my job. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, is that what you guys talk about over there too? Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not. So what does go on there? What does your role entail? So, okay. So a little bit about, I'll say a little bit about myself. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm an advocate and organizer, uh, a person that believes uh, deeply and is steered by co- community. Uh, but if we're talking about brass tacks, yes, uh, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer of the ACLU, first one. And that's important to say because we are very, I'm like very much building the plane while I'm flying it with, with this one. And it's a different thing to come in and kind of carry somebody else's vision out. But it's, you know, it's a it's a kind of unique circumstance to have to kind of create this whole infrastructure. That's crazy. It's wild. It's really, really wild. I would not think for the ACLU, like I've been yeah. part of startups sure. where it's like, you know, yes, building the plane while you're you're flying it, but for why why hasn't this existed before? What's going on? What's you know happening? What? And I think like, that's such a good question. I think we see this a lot in in like nonprofit social justice organizations. There's like this sense that hey, we're doing all this good work out there. We don't have to necessarily apply such a strong lens in here. And that mm-hmm. you couldn't it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Like we have wow, to be yeah. interrogating ourselves at the same kind of at least for the ACLU with the same kind of vigor that we interrogate the entire country. And right. you know America and her her laws and her values and her principles. Um, so so yeah, I think that the core of my work, if I'm going to be like really just down to brass tacks about it, um, I try to make sure that people feel like they belong at work, like we see them, like we value them, we we care about them. And there's a ton of like, policy and strategy and sophistication behind how we do that. But at the end of the day, that's that's what I do. Um, but working at the ACLU, especially during this time, has been just the strangest, as you can imagine, it's just been a wild, wild experience. I got there in September of, of 2019. So we were kind of towards the end of the, the Trump presidency. And, but we were still very much like on the front lines in the war, you know, um, over the over the Trump years, we sued that name over 400 times. Right, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, just it is a, it's a badge of pride that we have. Right, right. We'll you, there's a hat also next to the cat portrait that says, like, we'll see you in court. Right. And that that's the thing. Like, we just were trying so hard to kind of hold up the, the pieces of democracy that, that we could. But, you know, not to get too too intense about it. I'll tell you, like, we're just battling worn like that it took a lot it took I a lot out of us and it's not done it's not done right and yeah. we're just we're gearing up for the midterms we're giving up from 2024 and shit's bleak right the attack on trans folks the attack on reproductive freedom the attack on voting rights like we're still out there y'all and it's it's what's it like working with aclu shit it's hard y'all it's it's really it's really damn hard yeah right oh man so you got a taste of the trump years because i Ooh. during that time was uh doing like pro bono videos for the ACLU Chicago. And oh, it was like hard to keep track of all of the court cases that I would like highlight in the videos. And like, yes. I would constantly update these videos on like, what has the ACLU accomplished thus far? And it was just like, it, I can't imagine being inside of the organization during those years. Of oh, course, even now it's still, oh, there's sure. so much urgency to what we're doing, but it yeah, f- felt like war 
times. It, did. it very much. It, yeah. We were just there for the for the fight. I mean, what else? You, you can't you can't not fight. Right. Like right. our rights, our lives were on the line. You know, mm-hmm. but e- even even pre and post Trump, like all these issues, like they're they're nothing new. Right. Like these are all things that the ACLU has had to fight for. So I feel like almost Trump and all of that nonsense that went with it just created like more unnecessary work. Like, right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. It's just like, oh, now we have to waste our time, like slapping all this stuff down. That's like obviously ridiculous because you're like, oh, nobody's going to just like ban a whole religion from coming into the country. That's not something we're going <laughs> to have to worry about. And from the like, jump. Right. From <laughs> like the jump. The like, gate, right. Like, yeah. Whoa, what? Oh yeah, it's God. like, oh, no, no, we have like real things that we've been working on. Now you're just introducing stuff from, you know. Yes, I think that was like that was the most disorienting thing. And I mean, we can put it in the context of, of repro now. Right. Because right. I work, as you can imagine, with we we the ACLU had a huge boom during the Trump years. Like we grew two, three times, you know, in, in size. And so we had a lot of it is a younger, queerer, browner kind of organization yeah. um, than it had been before. You think of traditional ACLUers, but you think about folks like we've got some of my closest colleagues have been at the ACLU for 30, 40 years. These are folks that were doing the women's rights project next to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And these right. folks, can you imagine they're like, how the fuck are we talking about Roe v. Wade? How the hell are we preparing for Roe to be overturned? Like, what is this? What is happening? And so, yes, in the way that that just sits and infects your spirit, this has been your life's work. And you never in your lifetime thought that you would seriously be talking about Roe being overturned. And what it's done to people's spirits coming out of the Trump years. And now he's gone, right? And folks can't see me, I'm making quotes um, because the remnants of that administration is still here. He's gone, but you're seeing the very thing that you dedicated your entire life to fight for really be on the line. Like folks, spirits are fucked up, y'all. I'm not gonna gonna lie to you. The emotional toll this has taken on folks. Mm Is, right. is the thing. And I mean, I'm, I have a social work background. And like, again, this is so much of my work is taking care of the people inside the organization. That's the thing that I'm sitting with. And if this is ACLU is a microcosm, right? This is what we're experiencing in our entire movement, right? This is what we're experiencing just like as, as queer people, right? <laughs> like, how are we still having these conversations? How is How are we still debating our rights, our right to just like live and work and be free? It's, it's wild, y'all. It's a scary time. Yeah, I'm a lot of fun at parties. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm a freaking blast. <laughs> oh my god, y'all! You know what? You're probably a lot of fun at pride parties, especially oh, lately I... when people see a specific flag and you can go, "You're welcome." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a beautiful transition. <laughs> well done, we gotta well done. talk about it. I mean, iconic. Thanks, You're so. iconic in um, updating the pride flag to yeah. be more inclusive. Let's talk about that let's 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 it's so it's so wild so that's what what was that 2017 that flag is going to be five years old this year that's so strange to me it feels like just it feels like yesterday which is um which is such a trite thing to say but um yeah that's another like kind of another gloom and doom thing because of, of course we added the black and brown stripes to the flag to really just uplift the experiences that lgbtq folks of color have within the community right and, and outside of it so the idea was 
racism and discrimination exist within this community. We see it, we've been talking about it, but it's something that continues to be kind of whitewashed, dismissed, invisibilized. And so what, what are queers love more than anything? Flags, honey, we love a flag. Everybody's got a damn flag. The bear's got a flag, <laughs> right? Like the kinky club's got a flag, like lesbians, have like trans and bi folks. Like, okay, let's have this flag that uplifts this community and helps to start and like re-engage this conversation in a meaningful way. And I'll be honest, you know, when I introduced the flag, it, it felt frankly a pretty like a pretty benign kind of action. It's like, like I said, like we love flags. Here's another flag right. to the suite of flags that we have. What's the big deal? But y'all, I got death threats. I got hate mail. Oh, the backlash. Yeah. The backlash. It was. I saw the backlash to it. I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but I remember seeing people kind of like arguing against the backlash and being like, everybody like calm down. But there were so many, I mean, older, I'll say mostly older white gays who, yeah, who are like the rainbow includes everything. And it's like, that's, you're missing, you're the, missing point. the point. You're the point's over it. here. You're over here. You missed it. All right. <laughs> and I mean, and, and truly, to be honest, if we could have kept the discourse there, that yeah. that maybe. I mean, none, none of this is okay. You're just like we're telling you that you've invisibilized our experiences, and then you're just further invisibilizing them. So to exactly, you, like, exactly. you're missing the point. Or like this is this is actually the point. You're making the point. In fact, um, <laughs> exactly. If you have kept the discourse there, that would have been one thing. But again, that's not where it stayed. Like I got hate mail and death threats. People that were associated with my office that were associated with with that initiative that helped raise the flag, they received the same kind of vitriol. And to your point, it wasn't outside the community. Like I'm used. To just like racist, homophobic trolls. This right. was our community. And they were right. taking the time to be like, no, this isn't yours. Like stay in your lane. They called me a Black Lives Matter N-word, right? They said that I had hijacked their community. Like, again, making the point, making the point. But that was the hardest part about it is that, first of all, it happened during Pride Month of, of 2017, but they were, they were supposed to be our people. Right. What did you do to, I don't know, like self-care during that time. That seems like... Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Because you accomplished something great that you should be, you know, celebrating. You did something like, you helped do something that was so um, important and did like, I I don't know. And then to have to deal with that too at the same time, like you can't just like enjoy the moment. (laughs) You really couldn't. And you're so right, Karen. Like we, we raised the flag on a Thursday. Never forget it. With like glitter, drag queens, like we are family, all the the bullshit. And then by Friday, the death threats had come in because the flag went immediately viral, which like, I just, we never anticipated that. It was just going to be a Philadelphia thing. We didn't think anybody would pick it up. And now obviously that seems naive to to even have thought that, but it went immediately viral. I didn't have no damn talking points. I didn't have a like press statement (laughs) together. We're just like, well, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? Right. (laughs) That's the thing. So what did I do? I mean, to be honest, we were inundated pretty neatly. The mayor got death threats, right? Because the mayor was at the flag raising. And I think I was three months 
was on the job at the time at the, at the mayor's office. He was like, what the hell's going on, kid? Like I got different coming <laughs> in from Australia. Like, who are you? What's happening? So yeah, there was a bit of it. I, I will tell you, we had some really great allies and accomplices, like some white queer folks that would step up and say, hey, do you need somebody to answer your email? Do you need somebody to, to like answer the phones? And that was helpful because there was a serious trauma of like answering that phone and then having folks say those kinds of things to you. So that was one of the self-care things that I did. Let, let folks kind of do the intake there. And I also minimized the amount of back and forth I got into with individuals around this, right? That was, again, another ally and accomplice thing. I said it all the time, like, white people, go collect your folks. Like, this is actually not our labor. You, There, there are a handful of y'all that get this. Go, go handle your people. And that was another self-care thing that like we still have white folks to collect their folks around this because there's still folks who are upset about it. Um, but I will tell you, I focus a lot on like the kind of negativity that came out there because I think it's important for us to realize how far we still have to go. Right. Yeah. But we really were overwhelmed by the calls, the emails, the texts, the tweets that were like, it is so beyond time for this. And thank you for letting me see myself um, and allies being like, oh my God, yeah, this is great. Where can I get one? Which is also something we hadn't thought about. <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> So it balanced out. It really did balance out. And just as quickly as the vitriol spread, the the adoption of the flags spread as well. And so wild for me to see it literally all over the world. Like every single day, somebody's like, here's the flag in Thailand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like Lena Waithe is wearing it to the the Met. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Huge. It's so wild. Congress, you know, like it just, it's crazy. It's, It's really fun. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I think it probably did help jumpstart a lot of conversations around intersectional allyship. It really was around that time. It was like Trump became president. People are getting more hip to like a lot of social issues we kind of ignored when we got comfortable during Obama. And then like around that time, everyone started being like, you know what? We got to talk intersectionality. And then I remember, yeah, seeing the backlash from the pride flag was just a really good uh, case study in that. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, our community just has like a lot we just got to, we got work. We got work. We got some self-interrogation. We got to keep doing. I think that this has got kind of back to what I was saying about social justice organizations. I think there is this assumption that because we're marginalized folks, like we don't participate in marginalization or oppression of, of other folks. And that's just false, right? In the same way that, right. like, for instance, people of color can be homophobic or transphobic, right? Um, women can be racist, right? Just because you're a member of a marginalized community doesn't mean you can't participate in the marginalization of other communities. And so, yeah, queer people can be racist as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to be able to talk about that, do something about it. And right. yeah, we can't, we can't change it until we name it. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really great conversation and I think real change that came out of it. Um, to, I'll tell you all a secret. Um, I said that I thought the flag was kind of a benign thing. I really didn't think it was much of anything. I was like, this is just like, it's a, it's a symbol, right? Like where's the real substance. Um, and I was actually quite surprised at all the substance, like policy, real conversations, like real community shifts that came out of like a piece of fabric. Uh, And I'm still pretty surprised by it. 
that was like one of the most important things. Like the the flag before, I feel like used to just symbolize like, oh, this is a queer friendly space, right? Like you would that that's what it was. It was a identifier. You'd see it in a window of a bar, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go here and feel like a little bit safer. And then like this actually started a conversation that had been long, long, long needed in a way that we never, we never talked about the flag before. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, like just you made it relevant. I mean, you're a part <laughs> of history. Like there's, um, I'm watching on HBO. We're here. Uh, oh. show. Have you heard of this? What? Yeah. I've seen like a little bit of it, but I need to sit down and really, do I need to binge it? Is it, is it good? It's great. You should watch the episode. Uh, they're on season two right now, and they go to different cities where, you know, they're more rural and uh, maybe not the most liberal. And uh, three drag queens, Bob the Drag Queen, Eureka, Hera and Shangela go and they pick a few people and really um, they put on a drag show mm-hmm. at every town they go to and they help some people there come out of their shell, whether they may be like closeted or trans and afraid of putting themselves out there in front of their community. And yeah. I just watched the episode that took place in Selma oh, and wow. obviously an important episode to watch in general for the civil rights history there. But there's just they do a close up on the intersectional flag and oh, just like cool. there's a black trans woman walking up to it. it's like, see, when I see that, like, that's how I know, like, I'm safe. And it's just like, man, you are you awesome. I, you will go down in history <laughs> like, in every little way, just like. The ripple effect of it is so profound. Y'all are y'all are very kind. I had a really tough week, and this is apparently the conversation I needed just to, to fill up my tank a little bit. So big, thank you for that, y'all. It's it's very it's very it's, yeah. That that's very meaningful to me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we please it. come to us for compliments anytime. Uh, just from here yeah. on out, if you're having a bad day, uh, ring us up. We'll we'll sling some compliments your way. <laughs> yeah. I may have to take y'all up on this, especially in this new legislative session that we're going into. Oh like, gosh. Yeah, we work with the ACLU. We kind of uh, we gas Amber up, so we're doing our part. And <laughs> Thank you for being here for it. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I appreciate y'all. This is y'all are fun. Y'all are a lot of fun. <laughs> So you mentioned, um, you know, allies and accomplices. Let's talk yeah. about the the difference between the two for people who are not familiar. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. I feel like you all have to have more fun guests. I'm going to try to come up with a squirting, creeping <laughs> joke um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to fit in a little bit better, but maybe not in the concept of uh, the concept allies, of queef. <laughs> Accomplices squirt. Okay. <laughs> is that the name? That's going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> oh my God, my poor family. No. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh, they've definitely heard worse. So let me see. Uh, relationship and, and accomplishment. Yeah, this is like such a perfect kind of tie into the flag conversation because I think you're right. I think um, some of the real uh, challenging pieces that came out of that is not just that we had to do this kind of interrogation of our whole community, right? But we had to do interrogations of ourselves and um, of the ways that we show up for each other, like even what our friend circles look like, right? Like it, I just saw a lot of 
really interesting kind of shifts that were happening and changes people were making for themselves. So, um, and of course, this this conversation hit like a different kind of crescendo, um, obviously in the summer of 2020 um, in the racial reckoning there. So let me see. Um, I think folks think about allyship in terms of like solidarity, right? So if allyship is about, like being an ally is about being in solidarity, like accomplishing is about leveraging your privilege, like weaponizing your own power, like really putting your like putting your body on the line, like putting more skin in the game. And so accompliceship is saying like, I'm not just here to cheer you on. I'm here to fight with you like it's my own fight. Right. And that's kind of different from from allyship. Like, accomplices believe in their bones that their comfort is less important than someone else's liberation. Does that make sense? And then yes. they act on that belief. And so I think that's like, that's kind of like as concrete as I can give it. But you know what? Let me, let me give you, let me give you some more. To give an example, a white ally is going to march in a protest, right? A white accomplice, like maybe we're talking about some, right? A white ally is going to march. Mm-hmm. A white accomplice is going to put their body between BIPOC protesters and police. Right. Like that's a different kind of thing. And I don't want to I'm giving you kind of a a more like intense, like inflammatory example so I can really describe what I'm talking about. But accomplishment doesn't always have to mean like literally putting yourself in harm's way. Um, A cis ally is going to correct someone who's using the wrong pronouns like a cis accomplice maybe is going to like fun name change clinics, right? Like they're going to put more yeah. skin in the game there. Uh, a male ally, um, like a man who's an ally is going to ensure that there's like pay equity on his team. A male accomplice is going to give up an opportunity at work. So a woman or a non-binary person has a chance at it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's not easy. Accomplishment is not easy. And to be fair, like it ain't for everybody because it demands that we trade in our privilege for equity, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It's transformative, but if we're actually going to finally get free, like we need people with privilege to, to step up like that. And there's space for all of us, right? Like I'm a person that has a lot of marginalizations, but I also have a lot of privileges. So there's space for me to find out how I can be an ally to disabled folks, to be an ally to immigrants, right? Like there's a lot of space um, to be an ally to folks who are experiencing poverty, right? Like there's like, there are a lot of, like a lot of ways that all of us can get involved um, to be allies and accomplices. I think sometimes the bridge from ally to accomplice, there can be a lot of fear there mm-hmm. of, am, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing this the right way? And maybe a fear of like, well, what if I try to step up and I think I'm helping, but I am actually not helping. And then people call me out. Like there's, especially like today, there's a lot of fear of being called out for a a misstep or for being like performative. I feel Mm -hmm. like for being performative. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you could go wrong. The threat of being seen as performative is getting in the way of a lot of people doing actual good lately, honestly. That is so yeah. real. That is so real. I see that all the time, you all. Mm-hmm. I I think when I talk to folks, I think that's probably the biggest thing that comes up. Folks are like, I really want to get involved. I just don't want to get this wrong. And um, you know, I tell people all the time, like, I do this work full time and like every day I'm called in. And I think that's I think that's <laughs> good, right? Like, I mean, all the time. Yeah. And I feel like 
when we're in community with folks who are pushing for liberation as, as hard as we are, like we're, yeah, we're going to get called in, right? We're going to, people are going to push us to do better. And so I want us to be able to normalize kind of accepting that, that feedback, but I know that's easier said than done. You know, the one thing I think I can give for our like listeners who are kind of thinking about this or grappling with this is the way that I approach call-ins is to experience them as like somebody telling you that you have like food in your teeth. Um, (laughs) uh, That's good. And so like kind of like rock with me here. Like when that happens, it's awkward for everybody. Like it's totally awkward. Everybody's uncomfortable. But what do you do? Somebody tells you have food in your teeth. You like thank them, right? Like, well, thank you so much for that call in. Like you get it, you get it out. And, um, and you move on to the next room. Like, showing up better. And you have to, you have to understand that like that person didn't have to do that labor. They didn't have to, they didn't have to give you that heads up. They could have had you go in the next room, looking and make it a full out of yourself, mm-hmm. but they, they, they gave you some feedback that was helpful to you so that you didn't show up poorly in the next space. And so when somebody tells us that we've like misgendered someone, we've used outdated language or we're taking up too much space to like go to y'all's your piece about kind of being performative, like, let's accept that as somebody's telling us that we have food in our teeth and appreciate yeah. the call in, fix our teeth, keep it moving to the next room, show up better. Right. Like, and yeah. maybe I'm oversimplifying yeah. it a little bit, but I think it'll probably stick with people. At least that, 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 yeah. metaphor will. that is the perfect analogy. That's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So we know how to call someone in maybe now. How do we apologize? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Yo, y'all are having me do the whole the whole lesson. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. How do we how do we say sorry? Um, let's see. Um uh I don't know, it just feels like apologies are really in the spotlight. <laughs> Get out after, the notes app. After yeah. our, you know, real reckoning over the last couple of years. Yeah. It's yeah. What are you all seeing that folks are needing to apologize? Like, I have some ideas, but I'm wondering if you all could just give some examples of what you of like bad apologies. No, I mean you can either do that or or just (laughs) things that you see people needing to apologize for. Oh yeah, I mean one common thing, at least that we see in in the queer community, is even like apologizing. I guess after after maybe being called in, um, I think that one people apologize and sometimes make things worse after maybe like misgendering or not recognizing their cis privilege. Yeah. yeah. Um, or like centering themselves in their apology. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Y'all are okay. I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit a few of those. So the first thing, let me start with the centering themselves because it feels like we like kind of circling around that theme. Um, And this, I'll tell you when we're talking about apologizing, like this is not just this, this works like in your relationships, child. This works at work. Um, (laughs) This is like just knowing how to apologize is just a good life skill. So the first thing is obviously acknowledging um, impact over intent, right? So um, for instance, I use this a lot at work, like there's a lot of interruptions that happen um, with like maybe, you know, men interrupting women, like to just make it like uh, incredibly binary and um, and maybe oversimplified. Um, but to say something like, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just so excited about the conversation, right? Like that centers intent mm-hmm. as opposed to, I didn't, I didn't intend to talk over you, but I know that I did. And because I interrupted you, you didn't get a chance to share your idea, right? Like that centers the impact of it. And so I just want to tell folks that when you're, when you're thinking about apologizing, just be thoughtful about acknowledging the impact of what you did over your intention. And I think when we start thinking about intention, that's where we would start centering, like, but let me explain all the, that it's like, 
the way this impacted this person is actually what's most important. So kind of start there. And if you have to just give a little bit of an explanation, just like get in, get out with that, but really do like, make it like an 80, 20 kind of thing. 20% of it is here's, here's what I intended. 80% of it is like, this is how it impacted you. Just being able to validate folks experience. It goes a long way. The other thing is like, I I know we all know this, but I think I just have to say it because I hear this every single day. If the word, if is in your apology, then you'll apologize wrong. Right. Uh, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. if you heard me say, or I'm sorry if I, yeah. Right. Like if I offended you. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you offended offended me. You know, that's why we're here. You know, you offended me. So take that if out of your apology and it can almost immediately transition from like gaslighting to accountability. And I think that's, I think that's really important. And like, honestly, that's a really great one for your partners. So everybody's welcome. Uh, (laughs) Your partner will really appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. No, that's just, I guess that's just, that's just a few, uh, that's just a couple of things that I think I would say. An impact over intent, take the if out of your apology. And I, yeah, the final thing just around accountability is only apologize, only promise what you can actually control. I think that some of us, like, for mis- you all talked about misgendering, we've talked about that a couple of times. I think folks are like, when they misgender, right, there's so much shame that comes around that, right? And so folks will, they, oh, they like over, over, over apologize and they put all this labor on the trans or non-binary person to like hold space for all this shit. Right. And, and then they center themselves, right, in it. But then they, they, they do this thing that I hear all the time, just like, okay, I will never do that again. So first of all, you likely overcommitted here. So you, first of all, you don't think that you did it intentionally. So why would you be, why would you apologize for something that you don't really think that you can completely control in the first place? So you should be thoughtful about saying, I'm really going to work hard. I'm going to do my research. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, but I don't, uh, don't commit to never doing something again when you think that it's unconscious in the first place. Does that make sense? That was a little convoluted, but um, I think there's an accountability piece that we have to be thoughtful about because if you apologize or you promise something and then you end up going ahead and doing it again, you're just eroding that trust and you you kind of lose integrity there. Right. Yeah. This is so heavy, y'all. I'm so sorry. I promise I'm fun at parties. I promise. (laughs) I bet you're like, let's talk about anything but this. Get out the twister. Yeah, you're probably maybe you're too fun at parties. I really am. People are like, oh yeah. Where's the ice luge? Yeah. thousand percent and I came up like I throw I throw queer parties like kind of as a balance to this yeah, very yeah. intense work and yes. it is it's just my favorite thing that I do in the world but you're totally right like I have entirely too much fun I just seem like a person that's like like in the office all the time and I'm like oh my god you guys are outside this is like that out of a cave yeah <laughs> exactly exactly when I was out the other night, I met uh, a doctor who performs abortions at Planned Parenthood. And I'm like, we don't have to talk about it. I'm like, <laughs> you know. Yes. And they're probably so What are you watching on TV? Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into it. Uh- <laughs> totally, totally, totally. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It's I mean, you have to have those breaks, right? Because right. the gloom and doom is just everywhere these days. Yeah. It's inescapable. So yeah, wherever we could just fill our cups up with the, if, if it's like just trash TV or Ooh, yeah, yeah, just like queer, queer nonsense, queer social nonsense. I'm all for it. <laughs> queer social nonsense. <laughs> yes. I don't even know what that means, cup. but y'all know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it means, it means like poppy juice. 
Poppy juice. Oh, poppy juice. I had tickets to their last party that they had to cancel, obviously. Me too. Because of COVID. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, they're so hard to get. I was I like, know. finally. You got to get on the dice app. Um, oh, I'm on it. I'm on okay, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you That's know. Okay. So I believe that you have fun outside of work. <laughs> I already know everything I need to know. You're and they're big the enough that you, that you can be, shout out to Poppy Juice, y'all, but they're big enough that you can be like fairly anonymous. And so I actually know yeah. a handful of ACLUers that are just like, yes, child, we can be here and talk about anything other than the fall of democracy. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> so I love That's some Poppy great. Juice. Yes. <laughs> We'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to coordinate next time. I know. Uh, oh my God, that'd that be so good. much fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. A question I have in terms of like being an accomplice, sometimes I find that because you have groups that share a, a certain label, whether it's um, trans or black or lesbian or whatever, but those groups aren't monoliths, right? right? Because there are so many different perspectives and experiences and points of view. Yeah. So it can be hard to know, like, what am I supposed to be advocating for? So yeah. for example, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And right. I was like, right. Okay. That's the rallying cry. And then it was like, no, abolition. Like we're against oh, it. I'm yeah. like, oh no, oh no. I did it wrong. And I'm like, well, now which one? And there's, you know, it's like defund the police, abolish the police. But then when you look at like who did New York City just elect mayor? Yeah, and, and what what were the who what was the demographic of who overwhelmingly elected him? So I'm like, well, I feel like I'm very out of touch with like, like with the groups I'm not a part of. I don't know like what yeah. because there are so many different viewpoints and especially with like my trans friends too my trans friends I know people that have very different positions on issues within the trans community so it's like I want to be as helpful as I can be but I'm like but I don't want to yeah. do harm so so then then I find myself just like taking a step back and being like, let's talk squirting. No, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, that's the last time I'm bringing it up. That's the last doubt time. It, yeah, right. Doubt it, doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Like an abolition squirting. This, is, this has been a journey, my friends. <laughs> no, oh my gosh, Carolyn, this is a tough one, right? So I appreciate yeah. that you started the conversation around like, you know, these communities are not monoliths. And so I think that's, I, I'll start there too, because I'm obviously not speaking for anyone else but myself, but I'll say as a student of abolition, I, I will say as a student of abolition, and I, I make that distinction because I do consider myself an abolitionist, but I am also somebody who wants the, the cops who killed Breonna Taylor, like arrested and locked up. And so how do you square, <laughs> right? Like how right, do you square right. those things? I was also a person that was cheering for Derek Chauvin to be like, to be locked up and sent away. And so right. how do you square me wanting to abolish prisons and abolish the police? What I want, I want to name that because I think that there are a lot of folks, regardless of your identities, that are dealing with those 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 issues and how they're contending with one another and how there are tensions around them. And so I just want to say like that's 
that's okay. Like we are trying to, many of us are trying to build a new vision for this country and for this world. And we are building it out of models that don't, we are building models that don't exist. We are drawing blueprints that don't exist. We are going to have these tension points. I think what's really important, and this is not, this is it's not my intention to have kind of to sidestep the question, but I do think that we have to grapple with these questions in community. And what I think is really particularly challenging when we talk about police and prisons within this context, right, is that we are, at least for as far as we can see right now, right, we still are in a police state, right? Even those of us, even those of us who are like anti-capitalist, right, we still have to talk about and operate within capitalism now. So I think that we are, we're in this kind of um, two steps forward, one step back place, because we are envisioning a future that doesn't exist and we don't have any models right now for what we're trying to create. And all we have is what we can see in, in, in front of us. And so, and we have so many people at the table who are coming from all of those different places. And so we continue to kind of bump up against one another. In terms of the core of your question, Carolyn, which is like, who do we follow, right? Like who is, right. who, what, what's the vision? I don't have an answer for you, right? There are as many opinions on this as there are folks, right? There, there are people who are part of the conversation, at least from where, or I sit and I know where the, the, the conversation, even within the ACLU, there are, our, our official position, right, is defund the police. And by that, we literally mean decrease, significantly decrease the the, um, the funding and redistribute it into community, yes. right? And we have so many different plans and policies around how that works, but I will be transparent with you. There are plenty of folks in the ACLU that feel like that is entirely too radical a position. It's not, um, it's not a logical position, right? It's not a position that holds space for the nuance and the reality of where we are now. And so I, I mentioned that because I think that like reasonable people can disagree about this. Even though I am an abolitionist and I believe deeply that we have to defund police, abolish prison, right? Um, reasonable people can disagree on this and can disagree on the approach forward. And so there aren't any clean right. answers because we're creating something truly out of out of nothing, right? Um, right? That's what liberation looks like. It doesn't look anything like what we have right now. Um, so I just, I, I guess for me, I just encourage us to continue to think and dream beyond what we even see is is possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because like sometimes I wonder because like there has been, I think, such a, a shift in the past couple of years and people want to help and they're they're eager and then they're they're moving fast. But then I'm like, is it a little bit too fast? So all of a sudden, for example, these um community fridges, I don't, I don't know what the right name for them were, were showing up, right? In communities, it's like, oh, they're like refrigerators outside with like free food for people who need it. And then the people who were working at food banks were like, what are you doing? Like, no, 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 this yeah. is this is not a, a solution. Yeah. And the intention, you know, for everyone was good and like trying to think more like radical and more community based and people getting more involved. And, in, you know, so I read about it. I was like, a, this is a beautiful thing. And then the next day it's like, why these are bad i'm like oh god <laughs> that's been the last couple of years yeah yeah and like like, like with this, everything yeah. with everything every Absolutely. every issue it's like one person being like great and you look at it and you're like oh what a great idea what a beautiful thing i support that and the next day it's like why this is problematic i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. that is problematic. I mean, that's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair point yeah 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 <laughs> I think my problem is I just don't have strong convictions. So any think piece, I'm like, oh, yep, 
There, there they I go. I know, that's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> just swaying back and forth. That is so fair. That is so fair. I was talking to a colleague literally just this morning about perfect being the enemy of good. And I think that's what right. we were talking, right? We yeah. were talking a lot about some kind of like internal policies, but I think we get stuck in movement space around this as well. I know from an ACLU perspective, when we're thinking about campaigns or um, proposals for like the Biden administration and all of this, like we feel like it has to be absolutely perfect. And right. we, we kind of like tweak it and whole poke it to death. And we end up kind of being, yeah, we, we, we end up um, kind of halting and, and, and setting our own ability to progress because of, because of that. That said, the other flip side of that is that we have communities and folks who have been doing this work for ages. And I think where we get mixed up or that um, there are folks who are so enthusiastic about the work that has to be done that they try to run the ball down the field without checking in with the communities that have been showing up for this work for a really yeah. long time. And so we see yeah. that in coalitions, right? We see that in like any of our spaces, immigration spaces, trans rights spaces. Like we see this all over the place. Folks are like, yeah, yeah, racial justice for sure. Like, okay, I'm here. Like I'm ready to go. And so like we've been here. We know like we've got some best practice on this. We can also tell you like what the North Star is. Can y'all just be led by us. And this is also a cautionary tale for allies and accomplices, right? Like, and if you're trying to check on your performativeness, look around and check first on the communities who have been leading on this work before and find out what you can do to signal boost the work that they're doing. Find out what you can do to add your voice to the chorus of folks who have been doing this instead of kind of like embarking on your own new thing, right? Like how can we um, kind of like galvanize, right? And, and be able to really um, combine our efforts rather than falling into all these factions and and frankly burning ourselves out and maybe just going down the wrong path, right? There are folks who have been in community that can tell us this, we've, we've got some good practice on how we can carry this ball forward. We just need more hands to help with the lift. Right. I don't know if that makes sense to folks. So much yeah. sense. I think a lot of people fell into that. On top of that, we were in a lockdown kind of quarantine. Right. People were just like, I need to do something. And like just jumping in and getting so burnt out without yeah. checking in or amplifying things that were already in the works. Totally, Saw that totally. a lot here in Brooklyn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like I, was, I was in Brooklyn too. I know exactly, exactly what you mean. Yeah. And it's hard because yeah. we lose people in the movement because of that, right? Like they get really excited about it. They run in the wrong direction. Somebody like, you know, tackles them. I know I'm just really going with this football metaphor, y'all. I don't remember what the hell's going on. But somebody like, somebody blocks blocks them, right? And they get so defeated about it, right? Yeah. That they, re they do that re retreating that Carolyn's talking about. I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I don't I don't know. I'm not really sure what to do. And we lose folks in the movement in, in, in that way. So that's something that I definitely saw as well. Yeah. It's pace ourselves that's right that's right yeah. like let ourselves be led be, be led by the community yes. yeah yeah I think that's the way to go oh well, folks oh my yeah. gosh we gotta wrap up we got you, know, you got a hard out you have so much important work to do i have much to continue less to do that i have to go to as well <laughs> to do, unfortunately yeah. well yeah this has been so lovely, you all. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. You have like fun questions that you ask folks to kind of keep things light on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this is going to be a, another heavy one to wrap it up. But okay. uh, Carolyn, <laughs> I don't think it, it's that heavy. I, I think it's a nice thing. So I guess 
like what is a simple way, let's say for people who are listening, just like a starting point, uh, if, if you're not even there yet, what what's a way that we can better show up for each other? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you know, the, I think when I when I talk to folks so often about so much of this work, um, people are really excited to kind of what you all were talking about, like, look outward, right? Like, let me see how I can put a refrigerator up in my community or, you know, let me like jump out in the streets and protest. And, and, and these things are really important. But I think the most important work that we can do is just is is the, the internal work. Like I tell folks all the time, clean your house first and, and clean your house before you invite company over. And so what I mean by that is like, look around, right? Look around your friend circle, look around your softball team, right? <laughs> Keeping it real good and yeah. like, and, 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 and notice who's there, who's not there and start to interrogate, like, what can I do to make the spaces that I'm in safer for folks that that I want to feel safe around me. Like what can start with that internal work and that internal work can be right. Like checking, checking your shit on pronouns, like checking anti-blackness that shows up for you. It's all about educating yourself first, but like doing that work so that what other efforts you have of like wanting to expand your circle or expand your community, like those are going to be more fruitful efforts because you've already done that labor. And the, the extension just a little bit beyond that is actually about your your family, right? It's about your family. It's about your community. It's about the folks that are in your friend circle. Like that's also your house. So you clean up your actual self, but you also help clean up the folks that are around you. Like do that work in your intimate circle first, before you even worry about what's going on out there. Like that's what we really, we really need. I'd say, especially for allies and accomplices, like we know the messenger matters. And so you being the messenger for yourself or for the folks that you're closest to is really what's going to be able to like move us several steps closer to liberation. It's going to be, that's going to be a more effective tool and strategy more than anything else that I can, that I can think of. So clean your house first. That's, that's what I got. All right. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Again. Amber, where can people follow you and all the great work that you're doing in the ACLU or what, what are the marching orders for? Yes. Oh my gosh. Joe, I feel like that's all I've been doing this whole time is just dictating. <laughs> no, I've got to, I'm going to get better with, with social media. I've been taking a heck, heck of a long extended um, kind of social media hiatus. But like, I think I'm most active on Instagram, probably. Um, Facebook, I've just abandoned completely, but you can follow me there. That works. Uh, Twitter, uh, I do things on LinkedIn every once in a while. I'm going to, I'm going I'm to get better. Oh, and I released a TED talk um, last, last year and it's, well, I think it has a 1.5 million views. And so check All out right, the let's get it up to sure. two. Hey, yeah, <laughs> two million club would be very cool. Um, but I want y'all to bring me back, and we're just gonna um, just you know talk. We're just gonna bullshit and have fun next time. Next time we're gonna we're gonna talk about el- elderly cats. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I thought you were gonna do? I thought you were gonna say squirting. I, I know, me <laughs> but she kept that promise I told to you. herself. I know we did great not here today. That up. No, we're gonna talk about geriatric cats. <laughs> the next time. I'm so here for it. I'm so, so, so here for it. Okay. We're, okay. we're reaching out. All right. Amber, this has been a delight. And we'll Our see you at Poppy Juice in the meantime. Oh, without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. Text me. We're there. Yes. <laughs> All Thank right, you, please. Amber. Bye, Take care. Pleasure. Bye. 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 
I know Amber didn't think that she was being fun, but I actually had a lot of fun with that interview, and I can't wait for our geriatric cats episode, even though I don't have a cat, nor do I like cats that much. You shut your mouth. I I would dyke out with her about cats or anything else she wants to dyke out about. And speaking of not liking things that much, uh... Feel like I'm gonna get a little backlash about the flags of it all. Um, <laughs> I want to be, be clear. If if you don't know, I do have a stand up joke, and I joke on here sometimes about how I think all flags are ugly. <laughs> that does not include Amber's flag. You know, I was thinking about our Jenna Lyons episode where uh, I didn't realize how deep your hatred for flags went, and you really go on a tear setting up that question. <laughs> Before before we ask Jenna Lyons. Because I slipped into my stand-up like angle on yeah, it. Yeah. I, which is a lot more aggressive. Yeah. You you can almost hear <sighs> Melody dragging the soapbox to position underneath <laughs> her before she goes off on flags. But everything we say about everything we just said about the flag with, with Amber was one hundred percent earnest and sincere. We love her flag. Oh, yeah. I genuinely do love her flag. She I made like, flags important. I okay? am making fun of the traditional pride flag in my stand-up material about this, at least. But yes. yeah, yes. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> uh, let's get to our listener question. This one is also from a patron, which means it went to the top of the list. This is another one that we've paraphrased to take out some identifying information but to the patron who suggested this we have emailed you to let you know that this very uh, different sounding question is in fact your question and hopefully if we can give you uh, answers that work with it but we're just trying to make it more more general to help more people so go right. for it Mel all right so this listener who is not at all codependent is engaged to someone who is extremely codependent Okay. They thought getting engaged would make the partner feel more secure and less codependent, but it didn't change anything. This listener lives in Los Angeles and works in entertainment, but their fiance wants to move away and live a more simple life. It all boils down to the fact that they're torn. Do they follow the person they love to start a new kind of life or do they put their career and needs first, which means likely breaking off this engagement? They also asked, what do you do if you feel like you've met your person, but wish you'd met them like five years later? Yeah. It's important. Yeah. To emphasize that, like this person's industry pretty much only exists where they are now. Yeah. So it's. There are some more context about this, but the the codependence, it seems like we're talking about a couple different things here, but the codependency seems to be something that was uh, present in the beginning of the relationship. And let me just say, red flag immediately that it almost sounded like this person engaged just to appease their partner and make them feel more secure in the relationship. And what a horrible idea. That is not why you should get engaged. So right away, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow the whistle and say, call it off. Yeah. Call it off. The short answer is I think you know what you need to do, but it's really hard because I have zero doubt that you love this person so much and that you care about them, but that does not mean that they're the right person 
for you if you want different things. And if if this person is like a super codependent and you really don't like that, that's that's a really big mismatch. So that paired with the fact that you also want to live two different kinds of life yeah. in two different settings, then then you're already not on the same page. And I don't know what this five years later would have changed. When I met uh, Cecilia or when Cecilia and I got together, it was not the right time. You know, yes, I thought, wow, I wish this could have happened a, a little bit more after my divorce. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, like the the ink hadn't dried on the paperwork and <laughs> like the court hadn't officially granted the divorce. And there she was uh, strolling up to me with that, with that cute, cute butt. And what was I supposed to do? Um, but I couldn't I couldn't think like, oh, if only this had happened later, because that's not the reality. So it's like, well, I have to make a decision. I can't like the reality isn't that we're meeting later in life. So it's like I take my chances and I do not pursue this because the timing isn't right for me right now. Or I pursue this and I say, timing be damned. This is what I want to do. This is a little bit close to the advice from last week about the having babies. It's just like sometimes you have to make a call and it's never going to feel completely right. But think about what what do you want and what do you want your life to look like two years from now, five years from now. And if it's not aligned with the other person you're with, then it's better to to part ways now. That's my take. Mel? That's exactly my take. Um, there were more details that I'm like speaking to. Yeah. <laughs> in my reasoning. But right. it's like... If you're just starting to find your footing in your industry, do you not think maybe you were held back and you couldn't have been getting these opportunities sooner if you maybe had been more available and pursuing what you're so passionate about and instead were wrapped up in this relationship? Again, I'm like speaking directly to this person, to details <laughs> that we have omitted. Yeah, no, I know it, it's hard. We won't. We don't want to say too much here, but you know, it it's tough when you have to pick between when you feel like you have to pick between like career and love. But that's not really the choice because I don't think that if you choose career right now, that you'll never have love. Like you, you can have both, and you can have um, a partner who who aligns with both. And I know some of your reasoning for, you know, trying to find uh, what would be the positives to leaving, you know, moving somewhere with like a lower cost of living, life will be easier. I did that. Uh, you know, I wasn't following my dreams when I was living in Atlanta. I had a stable job with benefits and I was living a very easy, uh, breezy life down in Atlanta. And at the end of the day, I wasn't fulfilled. And it wasn't until I moved to New York where I felt finally like my full self. And I felt finally alive for the first time in a while. Not to say I didn't feel alive in Atlanta, but I felt like me again. And mm -hmm. you can talk yourself into like cost of living and the the ease of, you know, not sitting in L.A. traffic or whatever it, it is that's hard about living there. 
it's not going to matter if you're somewhere where you feel like you've had to stifle a big part of who you are. And at the end of the day, you need to be true to yourself and your needs and trust that you will find somebody who who aligns with that. And it's not a reflection of anything of your your partner. And I'm sure that they'll land you know, where they need to be and find someone who's more aligned with what they need. But if you right. both need different things, then I think, I think you need to go, go elsewhere. Uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. I know. I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> right. Oh man. Uh, it's sad. I'm going to open up Apple podcasts. <laughs> it's going to be like one star. My fiance <laughs> broke off the engagement because of these this twice married cunt <laughs> thinks she should have all the marriages. <laughs> uh, you got to move on. You have to focus on yourself. You will resent this person if you stay with them longer. You need to release this person so that they can go and find something, a situation that works better for them. You say you're not codependent, but also you did potentially get engaged to solve a problem which isn't maybe <laughs> codependency but is not the healthiest um right so before we continue to make more risky calls like that yeah we gotta assess the situation and maybe call things off it feels like this person knows what they need to do and needed to hear it from us yes maybe. yes yes uh, yes, yes. Well, best of luck to you. And if you have any questions, uh, send. <laughs> do you have a, a wedding you need to call off? Email us, dykingout at <laughs> gmail.com. Do you need someone to gas you up and your titties and how they look in your wedding dress? DM <laughs> Melody Kamali. <laughs> and if you need someone just to bring up squirting inappropriately, DM. <laughs> That's my thing. TJ Carolyn. You take it and run with this week. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to put you on blast in front of Amber Hikes. So to speak. So to speak. <laughs> blast oh. off. And you can follow us at Diking Out on social media. Melody has been doing a, a great job with the social media, but remember, we also want an intern for that extra. <laughs> Do a support. better job. Yeah. Somebody to stop me from posting pictures of naked Rosie O'Donnell Barbie dolls. <laughs> Check Just it out. Somebody take the keys. All right. We got to go. Thank you so much for Diking Out with us this week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing. 
become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.